Welcome to Portfolio Pulse, the money podcast for medical professionals and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Stephen Husky, owner of Husky Financial Consulting and Wealth Management. Our goal is to help leaders accumulate wealth and empower them to build the life they deserve. Each week, we interview a purpose-driven leader or medical professional that is building a thriving business with community impact. We ask tough questions, learn the habits they practice to build successful careers, and discover a secret they can pass on to help others build their businesses. It's time to talk money, meaning, and maximum impact. Hello and welcome to Portfolio Pulse the money podcast for medical professionals and entrepreneurs. As you know, entrepreneurs come in all shapes and sizes. And today I have a unique guest to the show. He is a fellow financial advisor and comprehensive financial planner, such as myself. I always love talking to folks like Leland Gross, who is our guest today. He is a business owner, financial planner, and podcast host because he gives a different perspective from my side of the table. And so we're going to be having an engaging discussion around why we're financial planners, the help that we provide individuals and business owners, his target market, how he got started, all his knowledge, and we're going to spill the beans there. So Leland Gross, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for this conversation. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. I think we've had a couple of conversations before this, and I I found you interesting in the way that you approach finances and planning, and we both kind of serve a similar market with the business ownership. Um, I know you've been a business owner and entrepreneur for seven plus years now, and I want to know how you got started in this business, a lot of the education and certifications you've accumulated up to this point, and how you use it to help your clients. Yeah, I, I appreciate the question. I, When I came out of college, I I did a gap year. It was a leadership program. I had majored in international relations and thought I was going to, you know, work in the state department and things like that. Um, but while I was doing this gap year in DC, I did an internship in, um, a think tank and it was just so brutally boring for me. I was in like a dusty old basement on like an old, not even like thin screen computer, like the old beige, like plastic thick ones, (laughs) just reading reports and summarizing them which I was like, nowadays, they probably, that job was gone. They've got AI that can it notes for you on that. But right. I just realized that as much as that was a field I liked learning about, it wasn't a field I wanted to work in. I'm really passionate about relationships and helping people um, and wanted a job that was a little bit more flexible for that. And during that year, I met other financial advisors and watched as they you know, had a great job where they really helped people, where they could make their own schedule, where they could make a great living serving others and still be home for dinner with their kids and coach their kids sports and be involved in their community. And while I didn't know a lick about finance, I saw that as a lifestyle that I was really excited about. So I approached one of them, said, can you get me a job? At the time, I knew I was moving to Virginia Beach, Virginia. Um, and they, their firm had just had a position open up. It was, you know, kind of a divine thing. And so moved down here, um, and basically just started the process from scratch of, you know, I, I went through the licensure, getting my series seven, which you have to have in order to sell securities in order to sell stocks, bonds, things like that. Um, as well as my series 66, which allows me to manage money ongoing and give advice, Um, and that was really kind of my first entry into finance. And I thought, man, this is the money part is going to be so boring. I'm going to love the relationship side. 
Um, but then I just realized, wow, this is not boring at all. This is a fascinating and B when you learn the math and the numbers, but you're also applying it to someone's life, you're realizing like, we're making a really big impact. We're changing these people's lives, these kid, their kids' lives, the quality of life. Um, and it was just so evident how money touches all areas of one's life. So I started as just a, a traditional employee advisor. Um, I learned a ton. It was a great experience, but I had that entrepreneurial itch. Um, I think in my experience, many entrepreneurs start by being in a position and just seeing I could do this better on my own <laughs> if I didn't have all the red tape or the things that come from above, you know, up the bureaucratic hierarchy. And so, yeah, I, I launched PeaceLink Financial Planning. Well, I'll go back. In that process, I also took time to get the CFP, which I know, um, you know how hard that is, Stephen. It's um, mm -hmm. like seven or eight classes, plus a case study in depth that you have to present then you can sit for the actual exam, which is an all-day exam. Then you have to have two or three years of experience. You have to sign an ethics oath. And it really, the thing that's different about the CFP from just the licensure for me was it kind of pulled everything together. It allowed me to not just look at investments, but look at your insurance, your taxes, your estate plan, your cash flow, and see how all of it was working together. <laughs> how finance really is a house of cards that if you make one move, it's going to impact another one. And that's okay. You just have to figure out what moves are the best. And so it really helped me learn how do I make a best interest recommendation for my clients? Um, and so often we're making investment decisions and not thinking about the tax impact on the back end or, yeah. or things like that. So I was learning it on the job. I was you know, studying in the morning and that afternoon, seeing these opportunities and, and the effects of them. And that gave me a, a passion for planning, for not just, hey, you need a Roth IRA, I would love to manage it for you. But how is this Roth IRA fitting into your bigger picture of your life? What are your dreams? What are your desires? What are your fears? What stresses you out? How can we navigate all of that from a financial perspective? And at my old firm, it was much more, we're going to manage your Roth IRA. We're not going to ask many other questions. It's too hard from a compliance standpoint. And I get that. It is harder from a compliance standpoint to be comprehensive, but that was what I was passionate about. And so that's when the entrepreneurial itch kicked in. And that's when I launched PeaceLink, where now I serve mostly realtors and small business owners, kind of helping them navigate what is your greater life vision? You did not start a business because you love working 80 hours a week, nights and weekends and holidays in navigating taxes. You started a business because you had a vision for quality of life, for the work you're going to do, for how it's going to benefit you. What is that? And how do we start from your business, really optimize your taxes, your insurance, all of that, flow it into your personal life, and then build it on the personal side as well. Yep. I had my licensure to the question of education licensure, CFP. And then just yesterday got my approval to be an enrolled agent with the IRS. So now I can file taxes and represent business owners before the IRS as well. Wow. That's a lot, man. And what got you interested in basically being an approved agent with the IRS? How does that help your business or your clients? 
Yeah. So most people, when they think of filing taxes, they immediately think of the CPA. But when you have your CFP, so much of the CPA and the CFP overlap with each other as far as the knowledge goes. But the CPA just delves deeper into auditing and taxes and the CFP delves deeper into the investment and insurance side. But they have a Venn diagram. You learn taxes in the CFP, you learn financial planning in the CPA. So the EA is a credential straight from the IRS that basically fills in the gap with the CFP on the tax side. So it then allows me for my business owner clients to provide more in-depth actual tax advice, as well as um, file their taxes for them, help them create quarterly estimates. I mean, as you know, and as anybody listening to this podcast knows, one of the biggest pain points for an entrepreneur is how do I pay my taxes? How much do I need to pay quarterly? What's the best way to lower that as much as possible? Um, what are all like the loopholes and tips and tricks? And so the EA really expanded that expertise so that I'm allowed legally to give tax advice as well as um, kind of go deeper in that knowledge for my clients since that's such a big planning area for them. That's so interesting because all we hear from day one of being a financial advisor is we're not tax professionals. You need to disclaim that, you know, you need to make sure people mm -hmm. know there's a difference, but you're kind of delving right into that and providing that added value. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really fun. And yeah, I've, I've navigated the, I do tax planning. I don't give tax advice. I kind of guide, I don't implement from the tax perspective for years. Again, for so many of my clients, they're like, I wish I just had a one-stop place for this. And I really, I was just interested in growing my expertise. I reached out to all the people that I serve last year and said, Hey, I'm thinking about getting the EA or I, I listed a couple others. Like here are designations I'm interested in. Ultimately, you're going to be the one to benefit from my expertise. So where would you want, like my expertise to grow? And it was, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, everyone just said taxes, just please help us <laughs> with taxes. So I don't know if I'm going to actually prepare taxes myself or if I'll hire that in-house, or I'm not so excited about, you know, amending tax returns. That's not like a day-to-day -day activity I get jazzed about, but I do think the knowledge and the ability to actually advise on taxes will be really beneficial. I think so too. You know, beforehand, you know, we've worked hand in hand with CPAs and made sure everybody's on the same page and we all speak the same language. We all know the plan. We help the client move forward in that facet, but you're going to be able to handle both which is awesome. Yeah. And at least be able to provide a little bit more value both ways, like to be able to provide more value to the CPA, if we are still using a third party CPA by being able to enter those conversations a little bit differently or come more prepared or, um, cause I tell all my clients, you need an attorney, a tax professional and a financial planner. Like you, those are the, that's the like perfect trifecta that if all of us can come to a table together, we can solve most of your problems. Um, and we may have to outsource like an insurance broker, you know, there's always the the other players on the field, but those three are going to be kind of your trifecta. So yeah, if I can become at least two of those three and all of it's in one space and we know every area of our clients' finances, that's going to be really helpful. I think so too, because the fewer mouthpieces you have, it's easier to listen to the <clears throat> great advice that they're receiving and trying to decipher who to listen to when and all those things you're making that much easier for your clients. So I commend you for taking that exam and, and having those credentials. I know it could not have been easy because nothing about the IRS is easy. Um, oh, it's just remarkable <laughs> how 
complicated they made this. It's like <laughs> people think people think they can DIY their investments. Like people feel overconfident there. Nobody feels confident filing their taxes. Not a single person. <laughs> no, no, I think that's across the board. You know? Yeah. Um, but I know you've had experience being a financial professional for quite some time as of high, as of I since 2010, maybe before you got into this field. And I'm sure you hear this from a lot of your prospects, your business prospects that aren't clients yet. What's their overall experience been with a financial advisor prior to you? Or what is their perception of our role or in our field? What kind of input are you getting from these folks? Yeah, I think I think our specific field has done us ourselves a disservice in communicating our value proposition. And I think that comes because you and I specific field of comprehensive planning is somewhat new and it's evolved over time. You know, 30 years ago, 20, even 20 years ago, it was all separate. You had your stockbroker, your insurance agent, your, you know, every single part of your finances was a different profession. But mm -hmm. as time has gone on, we've, we've grown, we've adapted, and now it's becoming one comprehensive role. And so when I come across prospects, as I'm sure you do too, people just think, oh, you're going to sell me a permanent life insurance policy like the Northwestern Mutual guy that I got lunch with because they reached out on LinkedIn one time. Mm -hmm. You know, my high school buddy who went to, you know, Lincoln and is trying to sell me life insurance. I think people view us as salespeople more so than they view us as professionals like an attorney or a CPA or a doctor. When really, what I try and communicate is, no, we are much more financial doctors than we are financial car salesmen, where <laughs> with a with a salesman, you I mean, nobody goes to a car lot and thinks they're going to work in their best interest. You know, you're not going to say this is what I'm looking for. I need this many seats and cup holders and, you know, engine and all these things. And they're going to say, you know, I think the best car for you is over at Honda. You should leave and go over to Honda. They're just not going to do that. They're going to say... This is the best thing we have on our lot for you. And that's what you expect. You don't expect them to really give you the best option out there for you. They, you expect them to give you the best that they can do. Whereas with a doctor, you go in and you're like, I'm sick. These are all my symptoms. This is what I, I need. And you expect them to look at your whole physical health and say, this is the best prescription, treatment plan, whatever it may be. And you're trusting that, hey, this really is the medicine I need. This really is the best option for me. Even our incentives are different. Like for a doctor, they're not getting paid a commission on that prescription. They're getting paid for the advice, for their expertise, versus a car salesman is getting paid to a commission on car sales. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of know as a society who is a professional and then who is a salesperson. And I think traditionally... People think financial advisors are salespeople. And what I've heard in the past is, you know, sales is an industry and advice is a profession. So, you know, the, the medical profession, but there's also the medical sales industry where they, you know, sell to doctors kind of thing. Right. And the tax profession, the legal profession. And so we have the financial services profession as well, because we are, held out for our advice and our expertise in an area to guide people. And so, yeah, I just think when people come to us, there's a big misconception over the value we provide, the services we offer. Um, there's a lot of confusion out there. 
as far as, you know, are we going to just sell you something that's not in your best interest or are we going to really create a plan and advise you? That's a great answer. Very poignant. Uh, that's the exact same impression that I've been hearing from others is, you know, I've got a financial advisor or I do it all myself. I can go to Vanguard and pay, you know, 0.10% for my funds and I just leave them and I don't touch them. Right. But how does that impact you positively or negatively for all the things that you and your spouse or your business partner talk about? How does it get you closer from point A to point Z? You know, do you know the tax mm -hmm. implications, the legal implications, heck, the cash flow implications of everything that you're doing and how does it all fit together? Our jobs as comprehensive financial planners, which I don't even like the term financial advisor, but legally I have to mm -hmm. use it. Yeah, totally. uh, I like to separate myself from the salespeople by calling myself a financial planner. We're putting together a puzzle that could be 250 pieces. It could be 5,000 pieces. And our job is to make sure that we get the corners correct first and fill in the inside with everything else. So for instance, I'm sure you've got a specific process you take everybody through, no matter if they're making $100,000 or $2 million a year, they all follow the same process so that you get to know them, their archetypes of financial experiences that have molded who they are today and the decisions that they make, what their emotional behavior looks like. I mean, this is a lot of psychology in what we do. Mm -hmm. you totally. Know? And um, so figuring out that outer edge first and then filling in the, the middle with the right pieces that fit what the picture should overall look like and what the client has in their head. I think that's just a really perfect analogy for all of the different experience and knowledge and education that we've get, we've, we've afforded ourselves and, and paid for and taken the classes. Like, I don't know of any other business owner that has time to do that. So I try to do it all yourself when it's all about finding the the who, who can help you and not the how I can do it myself. Mm -hmm. Totally. I've, I've always said, if you're going to be a DIY person, whether that's, you want to DIY a renovation on your house, you want to DIY your investments or your finances, you need three things. You need the time to do it, the skills to do it and the desire to do it. And if you are missing any of those things, it's not going to happen. If you have the mm -hmm. time and the skills, but not the desire, you're just never going to do it. If you have the desire and the time, but not the skills, it's not going to get done well. And if you have the desire and the skills, but not the time, you're never going to make time for it. It's never going right. to get done. You need all three of those. And as life goes on, especially as a business owner, your time is so valuable. Even in your personal life, you're like, I'm running a business. And then I come home and I'm a husband and a father and a, a friend and involved in my community and all these things, you don't want to do the analysis on your investments and your taxes and your cash flow and your estate plan and your insurances. You want to know that that's taken care of and have the peace of mind that it's being done well. And that's where, like you said, who does that for you? And mm -hmm. I love that idea of, of the puzzle because you're right. So many people read a blog and are like, I can go put myself in a low cost index fund. Wonderful. You sure can. And those are great investments. But what's the goal of that money? You know, is there a more tax ad ad advantageous option? Is that the right risk tolerance for you? Because when the market goes down, that sucker is not going to be your best friend. There's a <laughs> lot of ways where it's like, I, it's a great tool. We use this tool with our clients. But what is the tool? What is that tool being used for in the light of your greater plan? You know, mm -hmm. if it's a nail, where where's the piece of wood it needs to go into? Or are you trying to put a screw into a nail hole. It's just like not going to work, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, all these things are tools. Tax strategies are tools. Insurance is tools. Investments are tools. And if you ask any general contractor, they're going to say, yeah, we've got a million tools, 
but we need the blueprint of the house to know what goes where and when we use which tool and for what purpose, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Construction is also a, a big analogy that I use, like you're building a house. How do you get the right materials? How do you get the right person to put it in place? What other general contractors are we going to sub out to or subcontractors or whatever? You know, there's different ways you can mm -hmm. spin the story. But I know that one of your big talking points is is leadership. And this can mm -hmm. be this can be used positively for a lot of different business owners, whether you're in real estate or you're in medical, you're a dentist professional, or you know, you're a financial advisor listening to this podcast. H how does the leadership conversation come in during your educational conversations with clients? It comes in a lot, honestly. I think it comes in in twofold. One, I have to remind myself of these principles and realizing I'm leading a meeting, I'm serving someone. And, and I really believe that the best way to lead is through serving, through servant leadership. I think, you know, if you're really trying to get out in front of the crowd and lead up on a platform, it's not always the best way as opposed to just being the person who serves the best and cares for people and understands people and takes time to really do that. And, you know, the best leaders serve. And so I have to remember that myself because I'm serving people and leading these conversations and leading these plans. And so I'm in a position of leadership. And most of my clients are too. They're business owners, they're mm -hmm. spouses, they're leading their kids, their family. They're also leading their employees and, and their clients. And so we really want to talk about, you know, what does it mean to be a leader and what does it mean to really be faithful in the little things? You know, like as a leader, you want to have your own house in order. You want to be really aware of you know, what the people you're leading need, what their situations are, what, the, how they're experiencing you and life and the problems that you're solving. And so from a financial perspective, I have to do that myself. I have to start with myself first, but then also helping them understand, Hey, you're never going to be faithful or you're never going to lead a lot, a big empire. If you're not faithful at leading a small one. So we have to start on every little detail. We have to be faithful in the little things to make sure, you know, your cash flow is buttoned up, your taxes are buttoned up, nothing's too small. And if we can do that well, then we're going to do that well in the big stuff. A great example of this is charitable giving, where if you're not willing to give $100 on a thousand, you're not going to give a hundred thousand on a million. Mm -hmm. You're just, you're not like... We always think the more money I have, once I make more, then I'll give more. But it's one of those, like you were saying, financial psychology tricks we pay, play on ourselves where it's just not true. You have to be faithful. If you're going to be someone who's a leader in community, part of that is being generous to looking out to your community and seeing where's the need and can I fill it and giving of yourself, your time, your resources. And so we talk a lot about that with my clients is how are we being leaders in your business, in your community? Part of that is, you know, charitable giving. Yes, there's tax benefits to it. You, you know, there's also financial psychology benefits to it. You're happier when you give of your money. But that's a great example of that, of the principle of, you know, you won't be faithful with a lot of money if you're not faithful with a little bit. And so whether you have a lot or a little, we want to be faithful in it. We want to be faithful with our time, our resources, and we want to serve the people we're leading more than leading them you know, more than being the first one to give a great thought, can you be the first one to live out that thought? Can you be the first one to really care for your clients? Is your business caring for your clients or is it just a money-making machine? You know, so I think that's one leader, of the reasons. Oh, go ahead. 
so being a leader by example, not just talking about it, everybody can talk about it and you know, have a good Ted talk or a speech, but unless you're actually living it and being the the example in person, I think it, I think it all could be seen as ingenuine or disingenuous and all that. So I think being genuine about it, actually doing it is a really key aspect of leadership. So I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, business owners can be leaders when people, in multiple ways. When people are their senses are heightened towards disingenuous leaders. We're kind of in this era of society where trust is minimal and you got to kind of earn it. As sad as that is, I wish we lived in a world with more, you know, trust in people. We don't. And because the trust has been broken by who we held out as leaders a ton. And you're right. So often when you look at the biggest leaders in your community, many of them are the entrepreneurs they kind of come with this built-in leadership mindset. They kind of come in with this built-in, you know, initiative that is required to be a leader in a community, not just in your business, but in your church, in your chamber of commerce, in your neighborhood, in your family. And so I think a lot of the aspects of entrepreneurship demand that of you. You have to be willing to be a self-starter. You have to be willing to see where things are broken or where there's a need in a system and figure out how to fix it and go do it. You have to be able to, you know, care for people. I just think there's so many aspects of entrepreneurship that mirror what it means to be a leader. And it also, you know, some people let it go to their heads and get the ego and it goes south. But I think the more that you can really work on your own heart, your own perspective, your own, you know, am I living this out truly? Not just am I preaching it, but am I am I doing it? I think that demands a, a level of humility that also then demands that you take your own advice and and live out those same leadership principles. That's true. I mean, it's better to follow your head and your heart than advice that you might be 50% on. You know, you're you might regret it. So don't have a bunch of yes men around you. Have people who can give you really good perspective and and take take from that what you will. Since you work with business owners, Leland, um, what are like the top three or maybe four things that you hear from business owners as goals of theirs or concerns of theirs? And how do you flesh that conversation out? How do you get them to, to trust you and, and really have a, um, a good feeling in working with a financial planner? It's a tricky place to be, right? Especially in kind of one of these early discovery meetings or introductory meetings where they're probably coming to you because there's some sort of life transition happening or some pain point they're trying to solve, right? We don't wake up and just go to the doctor just cause, or we don't like wake up one day and be like, I'm really excited about meeting with a financial advisor today. Typically there's something that's bringing them to my office. Um, and they're coming in a little apprehensive. Like the classic view of a financial advisor is big mahogany desk, old man in a classic fit, overly sized suit, who's going to be really (laughs) smart and make them feel dumb in an area that they probably already feel insecure in. And they don't trust that he's going to do what's in their best interest because we're already quote unquote salespeople. (laughs) So in some ways you're like, what I know is that I'm trying to care for you and build trust, trying to give you an experience that's different than what you're expecting because you're, you're coming in with unspoken expectations And I know you're coming in because there's probably some pain point you're already experiencing because nobody comes in to a financial advisor's office just to have fun. You know, you work a lot with dentists. It's kind of very similar. Mm -hmm. No one's like, can't wait to go to a dentist. They're like, my tooth (laughs) hurts. 
Yeah. Um, so in that I kind of tread lightly in the first meeting and I ask a lot of questions. The first couple of meetings, I want to hear their voice more than I want to hear my own. So, you know, starting with the basics of, you know, what brings you into a financial advisor's office? You know, like what, is there something going on that makes now the time that you want to work on your finances? Typically we're hearing about, oh, you know, I'm starting a business or I'm overwhelmed with my taxes or I have a ton of cash. My business is a cash count. I don't know what to do with it. And that's when we can kind of flush out like, all right, what are these kind of basic money centric questions or needs that these people have? What do I do with surplus income? How do I pay my taxes? You know, we're getting married and and how do we merge finances or how do we do this? There's lots of those going on. And I would say those are like part two, if that makes sense. Like those are obviously the things that they came in that we want to solve for them and provide value to, but that's not getting into the money mindset piece. So I'm like, that's interesting. That's exactly what we do. I've got lots of clients just like yourself who are starting a business, who have a business with lots of cash flow, who are getting married, whatever it may be. Have you ever worked with the financial advisor in the past? And that's kind of when, you know, they say, Yes, I worked with a Northwestern Mutual guy from my second period English class in high school who reached out and <laughs> set me up with a policy. And you're like, okay, what did you like about him or not like? You know, it's like then now we're beginning to flush out. Like, I didn't like that. I never heard from him again. I didn't like that he didn't seem comprehensive. I really liked that he took care of it for me. It was just outsourcing. It was really nice. Like, great, wonderful. Or if they haven't met with an advisor, like, you know, when you picture a financial advisor in your head, Coming into this office, what did you expect this experience to be like for you? I think just learning how to ask questions that draw people out more of like, you know, I didn't really know what to expect, but I, you know, my only experience was with my parents' financial advisor and he always seemed kind of stuffy and, but he knew what he was doing. And so I knew I should contact someone and then asking the question of, you know, what's your first memory of money? And this one kind of stops people in their tracks because they're like, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about. <laughs> like, That's a big one. That's a big one. But as you know, it it brings out those money scripts in our in our stories of, you know, what was the first time you remember money or the first time you remember realizing you either had more than your peers or less than your peers or kind of where your family stood in that. And it, the answers to that question are amazing. I've had people crying in my office because, you know, one person really wanted to buy a six-speed bike. They saved up so much, went to the store with their dad. They were a quarter short and their dad just shamed them and wouldn't let them buy the bike, wouldn't give them a quarter. And they grew up with this story that I'm bad at money, that I'm stupid, that I'm not going to get it right. And that, you know, money is scary. And if I do it wrong, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get punished or shamed. It's shameful to not get your money right. So this person was just paralyzed their situation from a dollars and cents perspective wasn't that complicated, but they were so afraid to make a move one way or another because they were afraid they were going to do it wrong because the stories they had told themselves growing up were these key moments where they were shamed for not having enough or not being mm -hmm. good enough or not being stupid. And that happens. I mean, that's obviously a, a very specific case, but those are the kind of things that come out. And to me, that's part one. Now what I've done is I've said, all right, you're now sitting in an advisor's office being like, why am I telling you my life story? And this isn't what I expected at all. But as the advisor, I've learned, okay, here are some of the money scripts, the stories we they've told themselves, where they're at from a financial psychology perspective. Here are some of the things that 
you know, tangible things they need, need help with their business, their taxes, their cash flow. And now I can come in and say, you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Prospective client, this is how I serve people just like you. And this is, you know, ways that I think we can provide a lot of value. And here are some, you know, high level solutions I think we should do in ways that I think we should do it that I think will really provide a lot of freedom to you and kind of allow you to relax those fists and not hold it so tightly or, or be afraid to make a move. And I'll do it with you so that you're not trying to make these moves on your own. I think letting the client speak the most and really taking the time to gather all the information and to really get to know someone naturally disarms them. They feel known, they feel heard. They feel like, okay, he really understands me. He really, I've shared everything that's, I thought I wanted to share and more. And now I can come in and really care for them, you know, and really provide a lot of value both on the dollars and cents, the quantitative side and the qualitative side, the psychology, the, hey, anybody comes to a financial advisor because they're stressed and they want to relax. They want Mm -hmm. the peace. They want the like, oh, I just want to know this is taken care of. And we can do that by being their delegate, their outsource. We can do that by holding their hand through it. We can do it by encouraging them, reassuring them, speaking to some of these fears and insecurities. And everyone's different. Some people want more of the heart to heart financial psychology side. And others are like, listen, I do not want to hear from you. I just want to know you're doing it right. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, yeah. like I just, I'm truly the the delegator. I just want you to do this and do it well. It's like, great, but I need to know you to know what kind of value to provide to you. I don't know so, if that answered your question or if I just rambled no, for five de- minutes. <laughs> it definitely does. I mean, so you're, t- you're having these conversations, these financial therapy conversations with not only individuals and family members, but also with business owners, because really the first meeting is pretty much exactly the same. One owns different equities and different companies, and one guy just might own one large equity, which is his own company. So uh, it's kind of mm-hmm. the same, but one has more control over that equity than the others. You know, So yep. I, I, more than one time have I been called a financial therapist, and I think it is because you know, I do have a psychology degree from the lovely College of Charleston, which you go also Cougars. went to College of Charleston, right? Yep. Go Cougars. Go Cougars, <laughs> right? So we probably stepped through the same halls at the same time and just didn't even see each other, which I find is pretty cool. Um, but you 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 bring out those, those, like I said earlier, those archetypes of what people have in their mind about money and what their feelings are about financial advisors and really disarming them and breaking those barriers down so you can actually get through all the muck and just have the real conversations that you need to have. And it is all education. It, it is all listening. It, it is providing perspective and giving good advice and 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 acting in someone's best interest. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's what we really need to get right as financial planners is how do we make, how do we give the best advice that f- suits their needs and their um, perspectives and all these different things. And it is a delicate line to walk, but you know, there there are different attributes that we have as financial planners that maybe other industries don't have. And I think that we're really showcasing that by giving heartfelt advice that matches what they're looking for. Yeah. Whether you're a business owner or not, all of these people that we serve are people. So the business owner is coming in with a business issue. Hey, I'm stressed about my taxes. I'm trying to, you know, we hired people. We're trying to set up a retirement plan. We don't know how to do that. You know, all the business questions, the personal person 
has the same level of stress, they're just the questions are different. You know, mm. hey, I'm still trying to save for retirement. I'm still trying to make sure I'm insured. I'm still trying to make sure my cash flow is is good and there's a surplus healthy amount of it. It's just like you said, one person has one equity that they have a lot of control of. One person has money that they have a lot of control of, but the equities they don't have as much control in. And it's just, okay, great. These are all the tools. The business is the tool. The stocks are a tool. Your paycheck, your steady W-2 paycheck from your job is is a great tool. Your unlimited upward potential on your self-employed income is a tool. And how do we really understand what someone wants out of their life and then translate that down? Because in life, we all have the same resources. We have our time, our health, our relationships, our money, you know, all these tools that we have to be able to build a life that we ultimately desire to -hmm. spend our time how we want, when we want, where we want, with who we want, doing what we want, you know, like that's ultimately our desire that can look a lot of different ways, but our money is, is one of those resources that we don't feel like we have accurate control of. But if we do have accurately accurate control of it, we can really build that life super well, that one that we're we're longing for, no matter what you're doing as a business owner or not. But I'm obviously biased towards business owners because I think you get a few extra tools and levers in there that we can pull to really make a big difference. So agreed. Um, but yeah, it's it, and maybe I'm a little like too, you know, emotionally woo-woo, but I'm like. It's all about the heart, you know, your heart around money, your heart around your life, but you want your life to be about, and money is an inanimate object. It's not good or bad, but how do we use it in a heartfelt way? Like you're talking about to really move the needle on your life. And I feel like that's what you and I do for the people we serve is say, all right, how do we move this needle for you? What are we building? Why are we building it? And therefore here's all the ways we can do that. And our job is to kind of construct what to use when in order for ultimately someone else to walk away feeling like, huh, great. Someone else is doing this for me. And I can kind of see now how my money is being used. That's diffusing stress or getting me excited about, you know, this next great thing that I'm working towards, whatever it is. So when you have the freedom of money, and getting that right first, it really opens up a bunch of other avenues. Like you can really focus on your relationships. You can focus on your own time. You can focus mm-hmm. more on your own purpose. Because when you have purpose, all of the rest of those different freedoms that I'm discussing um, really hold a higher weight. And mm. you have more control over them. And so I'm really glad that you had that same perspective. And I think more financial professionals are like you and I than, than most laymen know. So mm-hmm. whether or not you speak with me or with Leland or with somebody in your community who's giving great advice, talk to a few different professionals, go feel them out. You know, I think it's imperative the work that we do in the, in the communities that we serve, we can make a lot of lives better. And I'm glad you opened up PeaceLink Financial to really give that advice and give it, you know, give it legs and, and provide your purpose to others. Um, mm-hmm. I know you're doing that through your podcast as well. Why don't you tell us just briefly about that and, and how you're impacting the world with that? Yeah, so I am the host of the Self-Employment Success Podcast. It's very similar to this, and, and it's a very you know interview, conversational, relational podcast where we just interview different business owners about their journey, about the highs, the lows, 
that are inevitable on the paths to success? And ultimately, what is it? What does success look like? If you define that word, it's different to different people. If I ask anybody on the street, how do you define success? It's so personal. And so hearing just different stories of people, how they define success, what they're building and why and how that journey has gone, whether it's gone great or not so great. <laughs> it's just a very real conversation podcast and I've loved it. It's basically an outlet for people to tell their story and to yeah. help others learn, you know? And I, I really so, believe we learn through, we learn best through story. I know that there's probably some like education person out there that disagrees with that, but I totally I learned, I learn best through story and I enjoy listening to stories more than I enjoy listening to just flat out advice. And so, yeah, it's, it's a fun, it's been a fun passion project of mine. It just started this year. So there's only 25, 26 episodes, but I've really loved getting to do it. I think that's. That's powerful. You've already done that many, you know, I mean, it's almost one every two weeks. It's pretty good. Yeah, it is. Wow. Yeah. It's been every other week for almost a year now. So that's about right. And um, I don't know if I'm letting the cat out of the bag or not, but I'm featured on that podcast coming out soon. So listen to you that. Are. Hey guys, <laughs> I am, um, I'm really glad you came on here and shared your story, Leland. I think that you've given some great perspective. Um, always enjoy having a conversation with you. I know the listeners will appreciate it as well. I'm going to put links to, your peace, peace link uh, website to it. I'm going to put your mm -hmm. podcast link in the liner notes. And um, I think you have a lot more knowledge and education to provide. So keep on rocking it, buddy. Awesome. Thanks, Stephen. You too. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today on Portfolio Pulse. If you found this helpful and think others deserve to hear about us as well, please like, subscribe, and share us across any platform on social media or your podcast platform of choice. That's it for today. Remember to be happy, stay healthy, and tune in next time to remain financially fit. This is only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms not affiliated with or endorsed by PASS, Guardian, or Husky Financial Group, LLC, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Michael Husky is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 6115 Park South Drive, Suite 200, Charlotte, North Carolina 28210, 704-552-8507. Securities products and advisory services offered through PASS, member FINRA SIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America in New York, New York. PASS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Husky Financial Group LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PASS or Guardian. California Insurance License 430-5402-2023-165-037 expires 12-2025. only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms not affiliated with or endorsed by PASS, Guardian, or Husky Financial Group, LLC, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Michael Husky is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 6115 Park South Drive, Suite 200, Charlotte, North Carolina 28210, 704-552-8507. Securities products and advisory services offered through PASS, member FINRA SIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PASS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. 
Husky Financial Group LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Pass or Guardian. California Insurance License 430-5402. 2023-165-037. Expires 12-2025.